0: Well, we're jumping back into our study of Luke today where we're going to see how Jesus faced the same kind of temptations that we still face today. Because the real enemy has not changed. And the chaos you see all around you in our world today, listen, is not a new thing. It may have gone to a new level, but it is not a new thing. Turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, and you follow along as I begin reading in verse 1. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during these days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it's written... Notice what Satan's doing. He's like, you want to quote scripture, Jesus? I know scripture. Now he's taking scripture out of context and using it for another temptation. For it is written, he will command his angels. This is Psalm 91, Satan is quoting from. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they'll bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And then when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So what could we learn from this passage that could help us, that could help us today? Oh, as dark as it is and as chaotic as it is, Number one, you better be filled with the Spirit. Number one, be filled with the Spirit. Look at verse one again. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned to the Jordan and was led by the Spirit. Listen to me. Jesus was full of the Spirit and was led by the Spirit, even though he was the Son of God, You see, in his humanity, when he took on flesh, he's doing the same thing. And he's modeling for us the same thing God has called us to do today. Be full of the Spirit. Led by the Spirit. Be full of the Spirit. And led by the Spirit. Oh my goodness. We've got Christians today who are absolutely full of something. And they're obviously being strongly led by something. But I don't think it's the spirit of God. Because it looks just like the spirit of our age that unbelievers are filled with. Hatred, malice, fear, anger. Hatred, malice, fear, anger. That's what you see raging. That is the cluster that you see raging all around us, but God has called us to be radically different in the middle of it. He wants us in it, but not of it. In it, but not of it. In it, but not like it. We're supposed to be radically different. Folks, let me be real specific. The world should not see Christians who say, we hope in Jesus, we know we're on our way to heaven, our biggest problem's been solved, spewing hatred malice, fear, and anger while they hold a Jesus save sign. That is so hypocritical. That is not what it means to be salt and light. It's a terrible testimony, and it causes the world to say, I don't need what you have because you look just as freakish as I am, and I get my Sundays back. I don't have to go to church. You don't have anything I need. You don't look any more hopeful, any more joyful, any more peaceful Why do I need what you have? Radically different. Radically different. Go to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to use our Bible a lot today, so if you didn't bring one, just go ahead and say, oh, I'm so sad. (laughs) Should have brought one. Galatians chapter 5, because it doesn't matter what I say. doesn't matter what Fox News says. doesn't matter what John MacArthur, John Piper, or your favorite, whoever says. It matters what God's word says says Galatians chapter 5 jump in beginning verse 13 Galatians chapter 5 verse 13 for you were called to freedom brothers only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve One another, for the whole law is fulfilled. When he says the whole law, he's talking about Old Testament. All those commands, everything. You want to make it simple. You want to boil it down. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word: "You shall love your neighbor as yourself." Now, is your neighbor? Help me here. Is your neighbor only people who think just like you? Only Christians. Remember, one time the religious leaders decided to poke and act stupid when he quoted this, and they said. Who is my neighbor, Lord? Yeah, like they didn't know. And what did he do? He told the parable of the Good Samaritan, and he actually lifted up the most despised person in a class of people that they hated and made that person the hero, showing that your neighbor is anyone created in the image of God in this world. We're called to love them. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. Love your neighbors yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. I wish the Bible was more practical and relevant for where we're living. Man, I wish I could find some verses that we could apply to today. It's just so antiquated and dusty and We've got believers biting and devouring each other and God anticipated this moment by his spirit with his word and said, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't. But we got Christians saying, but yeah, but, but 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 they're not thinking what I'm thinking, but they're not. That's right. Don't bite and devour each other lest you be consumed. The things are going to get harder, you guys, and darker, you guys. The world is going to come against us. The world is going to vilify us and attack us. And if Satan can get us also attacking each other, oh, my goodness, chaos. If you bite and devour each other. Now, we've been saying this for decades. This is not a new thing. We've got Christians in our church family who speak in tongues and some who don't. Some who drink in moderation, some who don't. Some who think homeschool through high school to the glory of God forevermore. And some who do public school or Christian school. And now we've got Christians with different political views or leanings that are all based on Scripture. News alert. Each side bases it on Scripture. And we are called to love each other. And I hear Christians saying, but we got to stand together. And what they mean is stand with me on what I think about this. That's not what God's called us to do. We stand together around the gospel and Jesus so that the world says, oh, my goodness, how do you do that? Normally, people of political different views hate each other. If they see us doing what normally happens, hating each other, there's no testimony. There's no witness And let me clarify something else because I'm tired of it being thrown in my face. When we created in 2014 a new mission and vision statement, courage to stand, confidence to speak up, and a heart that's willing to sacrifice to see more lost people come to faith in Christ, we were talking about, I based it on the book of Acts. I had read Acts that summer, you guys. Let me be absolutely clear. Courage to stand for Jesus not for Trump or Republicans or politics or a social justice cause, not for I don't wear a mask or oh, that keeps being throwing him. This is the courage to stand, this is the courage to stand, and I'm speaking up saying I won't, I won't. Shut up. Courage to stand for Jesus, confidence to speak up and share the gospel. And the people that give me that tend to leave off the third one. This mission had three parts: a heart. That's willing to sacrifice to see more lost people come to Christ, not hate them and hurl at them. There you go. No more misquote our mission. Misquote it if you want to and make it your own new mission. We were being biblical and we were trying to help you see what's the main thing. What's the main thing? What's the main thing? Courage to stand for Jesus. Confidence to speak the gospel and a heart that's willing to sacrifice And it may cost you and it won't go your way and things don't look like you want, but you want to see lost people come to faith in Christ. How are you going to keep from biting and devouring each other? What's he giving us? Verse 16. Verse 16. But I say, walk in the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against. Now here's here's an insightful verse that I think A lot of Christians don't understand. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. What's he talking about? Where's that happening? Out there in the world? He's talking about inside of you, Christian. Do you realize long before there's a war with the culture or any other human being around you, you wake up every day with an internal war? You have God's spirit And I wish I could tell you the flesh was dead, but it's not yet. So there's a war that starts within you. Am I gonna yield to the spirit or am I gonna go with the flesh? The flesh still wants to operate in a very worldly way. And so there's this battle within you and you've got to learn who to listen to. And let me help you. Almost the only way I know is I gotta be reading God's word. What is this thing that's so rising up within me? Oh, but I feel so passionate. Lovely. All passion is not led By the Spirit of God, Christian, does it match what God's word says about the fruit that will be produced as you lean into that? There's a battle. He says, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, we got walked by the Spirit, now we got led by the Spirit. You're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. So how would I know When I'm giving in more to my flesh than listening to the spirit. I don't know. I'm very passionate. I'm very, that's not how you test this. He's about to tell you what flesh looks like. When you're operating in the flesh, verse 19, the works of the flesh are evident. You're going to see it. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, Here's the danger: Christians tend to say, "Oh, so glad I'm not being sexually immoral, sleeping around right now, embezzling from my employer." But then we ignore these other sins, and he puts these sins right in a laundry list of what we would consider heinous. Don't go there. Don't do that. But then we treat other things like, "Yeah, whatever." Truth is at stake, Brad. This has to do with my values, and so that's why I'm. Watch what he says next: fits of anger. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions. We've got Christians demonstrating fits of anger, creating rivalries, divisions, dissensions, acting like, oh, oh, but now, but now, but now, but now we have to. No, but now nothing. But now we still need to be filled with the Spirit, and we still need to be obeying God's Word, and we still need to look radically different. That's what we need. Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If these things, Christians can do everything that's in that list. But what he's saying is if anything in this list begins to characterize you, this really has my name on it. This is what I do all the time. News alert. He says, you're not on your way to heaven, you're not born again. Don't keep saying, but I prayed the prayer, threw a stick in the fire, signed a card, got baptized. Doesn't matter that anger now characterizes me. Dissension is what I do. Rivalries are what I lead. If any of this characterizes you, you are not in the kingdom of God. Verse 22. So what would, oh, I'm listening more to the Spirit. I'm filled with the Spirit. I'm being led by the Spirit look like. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us walk. By the Spirit. And what he does right here is in verse 25, he doesn't use the same verb he used in verse 16 for walk. He uses a different one that was a military term that could be translated literally keep in step with. Keep in step with the Spirit. March with the Spirit. We've got Christians marching for all kinds of things on the left and the right. It's time that we march with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. And I think if you did, you would find him leading you in a different direction or, because don't hear me saying you can't get involved in politics, you can't care about a social justice cause, but as you do it, people ought to be saying What's different about you? You're here with us. You largely agree with the same concerns we have, but you're doing it in a different way. You're bringing a different spirit. There's parts of our agenda that you're saying, yeah, I agree with that, but not that. I can't do that. I don't agree with that. There ought to be these awkward moments where, as a believer, because you have a higher calling, King Jesus, you have to disagree with some of what they're doing and saying or how they're doing it. If no one sees anything different about you, you're probably not doing this right. Keep in step with the Spirit. Be full of the Spirit. Because God has called us to be radically different. Now, don't make a mistake here. Sometimes we think, oh, if I obey God, I listen to God, I know God's Word, and I'm filled with the Spirit, the Spirit will lead me like a Tranquil lake I'm just on a classy lake and it's always peaceful Because I'm, I'm walking in the Spirit I'm led by the Spirit I'm filled with the Spirit Do you realize when you're filled with the Spirit And being led by the Spirit He will often lead you into uncomfortable places That you wouldn't cho- choose to go Uncomfortable places Look at verse 4 again And Jesus, full of the Spirit Was led by the Spirit In the wilderness. My New King James translation says, into the wilderness. The Spirit led him into the wilderness. What? Listen to me. When you find yourself in the wilderness or in a desert place surrounded by uncomfortable circumstances, don't be too quick. Christians tend to do this. Oh, I guess I missed it. I thought God was opening that door, but when I went through that door for that job or that whatever, things got really hard. Oh, Can God lead you into uncomfortable places and be with you in it and want to do something through you there that's very different than what other people are bringing to that? Yes, yes, yes. So being led by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit doesn't mean a calm, tranquil life. You'll end up in places. Don't be quick to think, I missed it. I guess I made a wrong turn. I really wasn't listening to the Spirit. But here's what you need to understand. The Spirit will often lead us into uncomfortable places where he wants to produce through us uncommon fruit that nobody else is bringing to that situation. So don't hear what I'm not, not saying. Do Christians need to be involved in politics? Absolutely. Get involved in politics get on the school board, run for city mayor or whatever. But when you get there, you produce uncommon fruit that just doesn't look like what other people are bringing to that situation. Care about a social justice cause of your choice. The world is broken in so many places. If he gives you a passion to do something, But make sure as you go there, you are bearing and producing uncommon fruit that is likely to get you criticized or marginalized or invited to not be there anymore. Because you're not just going to do it the way they would do it and the way the world is, is going on about it right now. So that they would say, there's something different about you. Really, remember, guys. The most important thing is eternal life and heaven and hell. So as we get involved, that social justice cause is not the most important thing. You may bring about some measure of change there. And then everybody whose life is helped by whatever just got better, if they don't know Jesus, they still die and go to hell. Do you realize that? You can get involved in your city or whatever level of political government and create a better place for people here in this nation or world, and if they don't come to faith in Christ, they die and go to. We're not about making life just better now. If you get involved and you do this and you produce uncommon fruit, they ought to be saying, what's different about you? They ought to be asking you about the hope that you have that's outside of this world. That's what Peter was talking about in 1 Peter 3. In 1 Peter 3, verse 15, this is not in your outline, but you might jot it down. 1 Peter three fifteen, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense. To anyone who asks you, we've got Christians that are riled up, ready to make a defense for the Constitution, for America, for our history, for the Revolution, for jurisprudence, for blah. Folks. I love democracy also, I don't want Marxism, I don't want socialism, but I don't want my most articulate, most passionate moments or energies or gifts to be spent making a defense for anything other than the gospel. We've got Christians that I see them, oh my goodness, you're the most passionate and riled up and outspoken and bold that I've ever seen you and I've known you a while. Why weren't you ever like this with the gospel? Oh, yes, and if you're like, are you talking to me? Yes. If you felt it just now, yes. You, what is up? What is up? They'll ask you and be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you the reason for the hope that is in you. How do you have this hope? Oh, because as a Christian, I want to make a difference now and do what I can in our country and in our world but I know I'm a citizen of another kingdom, and I've got King Jesus, whether it's Trump or Biden or Nancy Pelosi or whoever, I've got King Jesus and a citizenship outside of this world, and my biggest problem is solved. That's why I seem different. And they ought to say, well, tell me about this. Tell me about this. Tell me about... You're ready to make a defense for the hope that is in you, and then notice, ooh, believers, come to the table for a moment. With gentleness and respect. Is that off the table today? Yeah, but we shouldn't take our cues from the world. But they're, they're coming at me like that. That's why I go back. They strike you on the cheek. What Jesus say? Strike them back. Take them down. Stomp their face. Yeah. Because truth is at stake. Uh, turn the other cheek. They say go one mile. Go a second mile. They take your outer garment, give them your cloak. You're like, what? Yeah, Jesus talking. What is that? Radically different. 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 We cannot take our cues from the world and start talking to people and relating to people the way they are to us. Radically different. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. We can't have Christians producing the same toxic fruit that the world around us is producing. That's not a good testimony. Instead of fear, we bring love. That's the opposite of fear. We still are loving. Instead of anger, we show up with gentleness. Instead of harshness, long-suffering, patience. Instead of retaliation, overcoming evil with Good, kindness, bless those that curse you. Instead of pride, a lot of that right now, meekness and humility. And instead of going crazy, running our mouths and losing our minds, self-control. Full of the Spirit. But then let me give you a second thing. Let me tell you what the Spirit loves to feed on. So I love it that in the the mercies of God, sovereignty of God, I don't jump around and say, what do we need to preach right now? I planned this out a year ago, you guys, before COVID existed, before everything blew up in our nation, and here he has us in Luke 4, and I feel like God wants to bring us back to the basics of Christianity, full of the spirit. Let me tell you what the spirit loves to feed on that will change your life and change how you impact others. Full of God's word, full of the spirit, full of God's word full of the spirit, full of God's word. You gotta be full of God's word. Notice how the son of God himself didn't think that he could just argue with Satan as he faced this temptation. He used God's word every time, not just once. Every time, every time, every time. Did you pick up on that? Verse four, it is written. Verse eight, it is written. Verse 12, it is said, he knew God's word and he used God's word. So, ready? We got Christians reading up on the Constitution, reading up on, on the history of our nation, reading up, reading up, reading up, reading up. Let me suggest something. Read up. How well do you know God's word to the point that you'd be able to use it down in the trenches of everyday temptations and battles? we face you cannot have a vague awareness of it in these times we're in you gotta know it know it know it if you're going to use it and lean into it jesus was fully man just like us and fully god so not like us but he didn't think he could do this without scripture he models for us again Knowing scripture and using scripture, not just arguing. Knowing scripture and using scripture, using scripture, using scripture. He read scripture and memorized scripture and meditated on scripture to the point that it shaped and dominated what he thought most. So that it's what just naturally came out of him and he could recall it right in the moment Of chaos and darkness and battle. So let me ask you, what are you reading and meditating on? Because the culture we live in, where you'd say, nothing, I don't read, and listening to that is shaping and dominating your thinking most. Because that will determine how you respond to everything. That's going on around you. What you're reading, meditating on, listening to, most, 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 most. Listen to me. You want to please God? I hope you do. That's our goal. Therefore, let us please God, regardless of what's going on. I want to please God. You want to please God? And this isn't wrong. I want it. And you want any measure of personal peace? You're going to need more than just Fox News and your favorite blog and podcast going day and night. And you'll need more than just a glance at a Bible verse on a greeting card. Like I think there's some promises, I think there's some scripture that relates to this. I I have a vague awareness of God and his word in the midst of this. You will need more than a fuzzy, nebulous awareness Here's what Christians are doing. I want the details of how bad it is. I don't want to miss a moment. What happened while I slept? I got to look at my phone first when I wake up. Oh, give me something new to freak out over. Right? We want the details of how bad it is. I don't want to miss a single thing. And then we expect a vague, nebulous awareness that there's a God to make a difference in our life. It won't. Turn that around. Don't hear me saying, I'm making it my goal to have no idea what's going on right now. (laughs) Praise God. It's hard not to. Even if I tried, I can't. I'm on my treadmill. People all around me are freaking out, talking about what happened now. It's really hard to not know what's going on. All right? What we need more of is who is our God and what does he say to us? In the midst of this. What are you reading most? Meditating on most? Listening to most? That is shaping and dominating your thinking. Because when you're in the trenches of all out spiritual warfare. And that's where we are folks. This is spiritual warfare. This is not political. This is not social justice. There's something bigger and darker going on. We're in, the, we're in the midst of all-out spiritual warfare. When that's where you are, let me put it to you this way. You will need the power of a specific promise from God that is yours in the face of all the temptation to fear, to retaliate, to be angry. To You will need, let me say it again, the power of a specific promise from God that is yours. Yours in the face. The reason Christians so often fail to resist temptation is because they fail to bring a specific promise from God with them into the battle. So now stay with me. You say, you're like, Brad, you say this all the time. When you sit down in the morning, instead of starting with your flickering phone or flicking on Fox News... When you sit down with your Bible in your lap in the morning or in the evening, you are doing more than accumulating biblical information. You are building an arsenal for facing temptation. As you lay hold of specific promises of who God is and what he's doing and who we are as his people in the midst of it. Who God is, what he's doing, and who we are. My identity is clarified The place of my God in our history and our nation is clarified. His promises to me are refreshed and warmed up and heated up and clarified. And it changes how I respond to what's going on around us. It's way more than biblical information. The only way to say no to the temptations of this world and to keep from getting sucked right into everything that everybody else is getting sucked into is to have and to be convinced Of better promises. I'm convinced of some better promises. I'm convinced of better promises. I've got a promise from God that is better. John Piper says, quote, a nebulous sense that God is somehow working to help us is not such a clear channel for the Holy Spirit's power as when we have a clear, sharp sight of a specific promise. Let me help you. The Holy Spirit in you would love for you to give him something to work with. He can't work with Fox News. He can't work with some of your blogs and podcasts. Give him God's word. Give him some specific promises because spirit and word go together. Spirit and word, spirit and word. He loves. Give him specific promises that he can bring to your mind. But this is not magical. I hear Christians say it sometimes and I think, that is not, God may have been gracious to do that for you, but that's not normal. You'll hear Christians say, and God brought to my mind a verse I've never heard of before. That's not how it normally works. He brings to your mind something you've already been reading and meditating, and you stored it up, an arsenal, and then you got God's spirit, and you got specific promises, and boom, recall, boom, recall, boom, recall. I'm not just saying this would be good for you to do. I never have to do this because I'm clergy. Just this past week, I got an email that so unsettled me. My insides felt like they were moving in a different direction from my outsides. And I, I was tempted to call my wife and just dump. And I thought, that's not good. She's already really disturbed. And I just said, God, what did I do? I took a specific promise. It said, you said be anxious for Nothing. But in everything with prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, let your, I just literally said, God, you're helping me right now. You, I thought of that Old Testament place where it says, as your days are, so shall your strength be. As you, you will not, I thought about the promise, he will not give us more than we can. I just began to quote promises that are not like, oh, that worked for Abraham, that worked for, I put my name on it and said, this is your promise. I'm not feeling it. It's not my first, but I kid you not. And I thought, I want to be a big boy not even going to say this to Vicki when we get home it just feels so good to get some pity right do you know what happened today do you know what I got she's like oh and by God's grace he gave me a peace that settled over me and I moved back to sermon prep and it was a great joy literally I said God you just did that you did that I didn't have to call my wife and get self pity as fun as that is because she always takes my side I love it when no one else is for me she is She's happy to hate the haters, but she's human. Then it makes it hard to love that little hater. So I thought, I can't keep doing that. God, a promise, and he did something. But I already knew those places, but I had to grab it in that moment and recall it and bring it and say, okay, I got better promises. I got better promises. I got better promises. And he changed how I was feeling and changed what I did Next. That's not just for me. He'll do that for you. He'll do that for you. But you've got to give him something to work with. You can't have a nebulous, vague awareness that God is alive and has some promises and has some things to say about where we are. And listen to me. The time to prepare for those battles and the temptations you'll face is prior to the temptation moment. Prior to. The temptation moment. So it's what you're doing as you choose to read God's word daily. Some of you would never miss looking at your phone for 30, 45 minutes, two hours, hour and a half. But you miss this all the time. As you sit with God's word daily, you're building an arsenal for facing in the trenches the temptations that are coming our way. Maybe anxiety has crept into your life. Yea, verily, started to take over. Oh, and there's plenty of reasons to be anxious, right? Don't hear me saying, what? What's wrong with you? There's plenty of reasons. As you think about your finances, your family, our world, our nation, your future, your children's future, the future of your grandkids. Did I help you? What are you going to do? Let me give you an example of the power of a specific promise. You could lay hold of Matthew 6, 31 and 32, where Jesus says, therefore do not be anxious saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? The Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need all of that Now watch what I'm about to do. I have gone to this place multiple times for my own life in battle. But sometimes all you need, guys, is a phrase. I have taken four words from verse 32. And I have wielded them like a weapon in the face of anxiety when it starts to creep in the edges of my mind or try to swallow me whole. And I've seen the effects of it. It's simply this. Your heavenly father knows and i don't think it's wrong to personalize it my heavenly i have a father i have a heavenly father who sees the big picture and has unlimited research sources and he knows he knows he sees me he knows he knows he, two things happen to me as i just sometimes i'll just say it over and over it's all i can do my heavenly father knows My heavenly father knows. My heavenly father knows. Sometimes I'll just say, Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. Sometimes I'll just hold my hands like this and say, you're giving me grace right now. Do I feel it? No. I'm talking back. I'm believing promises. He said he would. You're giving me grace right now. You're giving me grace right now. My heavenly father knows. My heavenly father knows. My heavenly father knows. Two things start to happen. It reminds me I'm not an orphan. I have a father. And it reminds me he's not unaware. He knows. Two great things. I'm not an orphan. And God's not distracted with Bangladesh or somewhere else. He sees. He knows. He cares. I'm not an orphan. He sees. He knows. He cares. I'm not an orphan. And he's not unaware. You think about it. another big temptation right now for Christians as they see how bleak things are in our country, to be given over to despair, right? Given over to fear and despair because things look so bleak. But when you read your Bible, you'll see that Christians have been here before. It's horrible when you don't know history, you guys. Do not live right now as if right now is the only thing that's ever existed. History can help you. We've been here before. Oh, by the way, in situations that are worse. What would the Apostle Paul possibly be able to say to Christians who were living in the Roman Empire? Roman Empire. Let me help you. That's worse than America right now. Roman Empire. What could he possibly say to Christians who were being persecuted, marginalized, stay with me, Blamed and made scapegoats for some of the worst problems in Rome. Did you know that happened? That's what they did. That's what they did to the Christians. They blamed them and made them scapegoats for some of the worst problems in the Roman Empire. What could Paul possibly say to them that would encourage them and keep them moving forward? Let me help you. He didn't write and say, resist tyranny, rise up, storm Rome. No, no. In fact, we don't have to guess. You're like, I wish I knew what he said, because it seems like they did well. Maybe it would help us. Romans chapter 8. A news alert guess what it is? It's one long, glorious promise. It's just promise after promise after promise after promise. It almost says nothing that you need to do and just says, here's what God's done. Here's what he's done. Here's what he's done. This is for you. 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 And it's become one of the most precious chapters for Christians all throughout the centuries. I wish I could read the whole thing, starting in verse one, because it starts off with one of our biggest problems. There is therefore now. No. What? To those who are in Christ Jesus. And it's one of those chapters that I kid you not, it gets going. We got Christians that have gotten going. But it gets you going in a different way. It gets going and it just builds. And it just builds to a symphonic climax. So I'm going to jump in for the sake of time with just the symphonic climax. Verse 31. But, hey, look at me before you go there. If you say, you know, I haven't been reading my Bible. Let me give you a suggestion. Read Romans 8 every day this week. That chapter Slowly every day, and look for promises that you can put your name on. They got to be yours. You got to own it. You got to know it's that's me. He's talking about me. He's talking about me. A specific, the power of a specific promise. Now, jump into verse 31, Romans 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? Now, you got to read it. Go back and read all those things. If God is for us. Who can be against us? He doesn't mean no one will be against us. Are people against us? Yeah. He's saying it just doesn't matter. What they can do to us and what they can stop ultimately doesn't matter. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? This is not name it, claim it, blab it, grab it. He's going to give you everything you need. In the trenches, in the moment of temptation and all that you're facing, whether it's in the hospital as a medical professional, in a civil government role, in a teacher role, in that neighborhood, wherever you are, he's promised to give you freely everything you need. He's with you. He's with you. And he's going to give you what you need. He's going to give you what you need freely, graciously. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written? Now, notice, nobody cross stitches this, verse 36. Or puts it on little porcelain Christian trinkets in the family Christian bookstore. But here it is. We don't like this. For your sake, we're being killed all the day long. Oh, groovy. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Really? No. In all these things. In them. Not around them. Outside of them. In them. When when you're facing that kind of environment. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come. I don't know where we're headed. But wherever we're headed, it still can't separate us from the love of Christ. It cannot. Nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Be filled with the Spirit. Be full of God's Word, not in a vague way. Learn the power of a specific promise. What's God Who is God and what has He said? Who is God and what has He said about us? And then number three. Be focused on the real enemy and alert to how he works. Be focused on the real enemy and alert to how he works. I want you to notice in this passage, I just think it's so helpful that Luke 4, right at the beginning, gives us just basic Christianity. Jesus was filled with the Spirit. He knew God's Word and used it specifically And here's what's going on. Jesus, for 30 years, has been a carpenter. He's beginning his earthly, real ministries. 30 years old, he's about to begin why he really came. For the next three years, Jesus is going to be attacked by religious leaders, hostile pagans, and civil authorities who all feel threatened by him. What's the Spirit of God do? Before he ever faces down or squares off with any human being... The Spirit of God wanted him to see who his real enemy is. You realize, read all the rest of the Gospels, this never happens again. But right here at the beginning of his ministry, he just got baptized and God the Father said, You are my beloved son. With you I'm well pleased. Go. God the Spirit wanted him to see the real enemy before he began to square off with earthly adversaries. The Spirit of God in him wanted to make it clear. Oh, listen, we need Christians today to remember who the real enemy is. We've got Christians attacking each other and Christians going after unbelievers in a way that God's never called us to do. You've lost sight. You've lost sight of who the real enemy is. We need to remember. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Go to Ephesians 6. And I hope you're seeing, wow, the Bible's kind of good. There's a lot of good stuff that would help us. Have you noticed this? Ephesians 6. Look at this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. I want you to watch In this passage, he's going to use the word stand about four times. And let me poke. He's not talking about stand for your right to breathe and not wear a mask. Stand, that is pathetic. He's talking about standing for things way bigger than that that matter. For the gospel and Jesus Christ and another kingdom and the hope of God with us. Stand against the schemes of the devil. Here it is. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That's not the ultimate enemy. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers. Not talking about civil authorities. Against the authorities. All this is in the spiritual realm. Against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of the of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore. Very repetitive. Whenever I see stuff like that, I don't think, man, the Holy Spirit needed a better editor. Reader's Digest could have really helped us here. When God repeats himself, it's because this is important and it must be something we don't do well. We tend to crumble, we tend to fold up, stand therefore, Let me just be clear because people keep hearing what I'm not saying and twisting my words. Stand radically different with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness for the gospel, for Jesus, for another kingdom, something bigger. There's something bigger. Than politics, there's something bigger than your passionate social justice cause. People are going to hell. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up a shield of faith with which you'll be able to extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, which is the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit be filled with the spirit be full of God's word be focused on the real enemy and I'm going to make a spirit filled I hope decision right now to hit pause and this sermon just became two parts so next week we're going to pick this up because there's more good stuff that I don't want to leave out oh God thank you Thank you for your word and the timeliness of it. Thank you for bringing us back, not just to a list of do's and don'ts and a shopping list, but to our Savior. And showing us that in his humanity, in his flesh, showing us how he did battle in the trenches of a dark, chaotic world. Oh God, as we head into a new year, that still looks unsettled, that still looks chaotic, that still sounds angry. Bring us back. Bring us back, not just to a list, but to our Savior. And may we have a renewed, renewed desire to be filled with your Spirit, to be full of your word with specific promises, and to be focused on the real enemy in a way that, yes, would cause us to make a difference in our neighborhood, perhaps on a school board, perhaps in a political civil authority position, wherever you may lead us, but that we would be radically different, that you would take us into these uncomfortable places this year and produce through us uncommon Fruit that would make this one of the most fruitful years of sharing the gospel as people say, How do you do that? Why do you have hope? Why aren't you as angry as everyone else? Why don't you hate the opposition? Why don't you hurl and name, call names and sling the way everyone else does? Oh, oh, let me tell you about my Savior. Let me tell you how my biggest problem has been solved. God, use us. Oh, the fields are ripe unto harvest. It's a great time to harvest souls. People are looking for answers. People are so unsettled. Use us as your peculiar people to stand for what matters most and to do it in a way that reflects our Savior. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.